0: Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. This morning... We are beginning a new sermon series over the next few weeks together as a church, all across our locations, um, looking at the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bibles with you, would you open it with us to Revelation, Um, and Nate is going to come and speak to us this morning. So why don't we pray as Nate comes and speaks to us. Lord, would you come, would you speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, it's so good to um, to be speaking today. If we haven't had the chance of meeting yet, my name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, it's great to be speaking with you. So as Ryan said, this, uh, this week we enter the season of Lent. And Lent in the church calendar is a season of preparation. It's a time of doing away with uh, the things that... Distract us from God. It's a time of re centering ourselves back onto the person of Jesus, recalibrating our hearts. And it's historically been a season of fasting, preparing for the great feast that comes on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the fulfillment of Christ's victory over death, rising from the dead. And so, over the next few weeks, we're looking at seven letters in the book of Revelation, seven letters to the seven churches. And this week, we're looking at the first letter, which is to the Ephesian church. And uh, if you're the note-taking type, uh, the title of this talk is called First Love. First Love. And so before um, we dive into the passage, just a little context for today. On Thursday, just gone, uh, marked one year uh, since the Asbury outpouring. This is where 19 college students decided to linger, stay behind after a compulsory uh, university chapel service. And the most profound thing happened. The Spirit of God descended in such a profound way on the little town of Wilmore, Kentucky. 2,000 people lived there. But over the coming days and weeks, over 100,000 people descended on this little town. The police had to shut it down. And it's come to be described by the New York Times describes it as the first great religious revival of the 21st century. Since then, the impact of these events have been felt all around the world. And even our little church here in Hackney, we have been experiencing the presence of God in a new way. Al shared, and um, many of us have been, been discerning that over the, over the coming months and years that God is beginning to shape us, to prepare us for what would it look like if an outpouring happened here, if a revival happened here, if a great awakening came to our city and our nation, if Asri was just the beginning And as we position ourselves to prepare for awakening, it's one of those things that even if we don't get to experience it, we're going to go after it. Even if it's the next generation, even if it's our kids, or our kids' kids who get to experience what it means to grow up under an open heaven, we're going to go after it. Because there's nothing really else to do. You're reading the headlines, it's just—it's hopeless out there. In the Middle East, in Ukraine, other parts of the world, even here in the UK. There's no plan B. We just need a move of God. We need more of God's presence in our lives. And this, of course, isn't something new. God pouring out His Spirit. All throughout church history, we see God pouring out His Spirit in profound ways. Even here in East London, the likes of Whitfield and Wesley... In in 1739, Whitfield preached to 10,000 people on Hackney Marsh. Can you imagine that? 10,000 people on Hackney Marsh, thousands coming to know Christ for the first time. And just as uh, traditionally Lent is a season for preparation, I believe God is preparing us as a church for, for what it would be to be a church that goes after the presence of God. Being able to host his presence in such a way that our community and our city and our nation is deeply impacted. So, if you've got a Bible, feel free to get it out. And we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And the words will come up on the screen. So it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices and practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'm just going to pray again. Lord, would you come? Would you speak to us today? Lord, may I decrease? May you increase? Help us to fall more in love with you today, Jesus. Speak to your church, Lord, we pray. Amen. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I don't know about you, but these words haunt me. How easy it is for us as Christians to be so focused on doing the right things for God that we miss the very heart of the gospel. Love for God, communion with God, having hearts that are open to his presence and his love you have forsaken the love you had at first or as another translation puts it you don't love me or each other as you did at first this church we read about in um, in revelation the church in ephesus had correct doctrine they called out false prophets they had been persevering in the faith, enduring hardships, not succumbing to the pressure of the culture around them. But yet, they let their hearts harden towards God and each other. As we as a church position ourselves and prepare for revival here in East London, there are three things I believe Jesus is calling us to do. Does that sound all right? Everyone's with me? Okay, good. You can. Give me a bit of back and forth. It's all right. I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal at heart. The first thing that I believe Jesus is calling us to do is confession. After Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for their sound doctrine and perseverance, he rebukes them for, not, for, for letting their hearts go cold. Jesus says, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen Repent and do the things you did at first. There's a story in Matthew's gospel where an expert of the law comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The thing that matters most to God before all other commandments is love for him. How much do we all fall short of this command every day? I know for me, I certainly do. How much do we forget to love the Lord with all of ourselves? How much do we forget of the Lord's love for us? That is why our first, the first thing I believe Jesus is calling us to do is to confess. There's this moment in, um, in John's gospel where Jesus ties a, a towel around his waist and he bends down to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter says, surely not, Lord, I will not let you wash my feet. No way, I need to wash your feet. And Jesus says, I have to do this. I must do this. And so Peter turns on a dime. He's like, all right, then, then not just my feet. Wash my whole body as well. My head and my hands too. And Jesus says to Peter... You don't need to have a full bath and the point he's making here is that he's already clean I just need to wash your feet from the the traveling and through walking through the dirt and confession can be a bit like that when we accept Christ when we put our trust in him we are washed by the blood of Jesus we are made right by him by his death on the cross But because we are sinful humans, we still get things wrong. We still need to repent. We still need to say sorry to God for the things that we got wrong. Put it this way. We can be saved and our eternity in Christ can be secured. But we can still be living in sin that separates us from God. It separates us from his presence. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of confession. It can be a hard word for some of us. It can be a hard concept. Perhaps you struggle with it. Perhaps the idea of confession is like coming to God for telling off. Being reminded of our past mistakes. Feeling judged and shamed. But confession couldn't be further from that. Thing is, if we don't get a clear picture for our need to confess, a clear picture of our sin, that we'll miss out on our realizing our need for a Savior. If we never realize our need for a Savior, we miss out on the opportunity to receive Jesus into our lives. And if we miss out on that, well, I mean, it's pretty hopeless. If you struggle with the concept of confession, let me encourage you that Jesus deeply loves you today. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, the same church that this letter is written to, encourages them that even before the creation of the world, even before the creation of the world, think of that, God loved you, you, he chose you. He predestined you. Thank you. God is rich in mercy. He loves to be merciful. He loves to forgive. He loves to be merciful and forgive way more than we're willing to accept it. If you have doubts about God's willingness to forgive, can I just encourage you to look at the cross? Jesus hanging on the cross in agony being mocked by the people who are torturing him. What does he do? He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is people who are putting Jesus to death and his response is mercy to pray for those doing that to him. It says in scripture that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus On the cross, took our sin, took all of our bad stuff, and he forgave us. So what are we to do? Confession is done. It's something that is done both vertically and horizontally. Ryan read out the passage, 1 John, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're anything like me, I have to continually pray this prayer every day. And horizontal confession as well. It says in James, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Could we be a church that confesses our sins to each other? Sins is kind of like a dirty word. It's kind of like, oh, it's like don't make me feel bad about myself. But, but we all fall short. And the thing with the beauty with confession is that it leads to freedom. That we don't have to carry around our guilt and our shame with us every day. Could we be a church that can confess our sins to each other? That's why connect groups are so important. We make it such a part of the life of the church, of belonging to the church. Finding other Christians that we can be honest with. That we can say, hey, I'm just like struggling with this thing. I've got like bitterness in my heart. I'm really struggling to forgive someone. This happened to me. Or I hurt this person. Could you pray for me? It also works by getting right with each other. Could we be a church that like doesn't have beef with each other? Yeah. Could we be a church that like is just known for how much we forgive. We're going to stand on each other's toes. We're going to get things wrong. We're going to disagree with one another. It's inevitable. But Could we be a church marked by confession, by reconciliation, by repentance, by getting right with one another? In in the more traditional services, the, the connect time which we have when we stand up and the kids go out is traditionally called the peace. And this was historically put into the service so that before you move into the rest of the service, there's a moment if you have like beef for someone in the congregation to go and get right with them. How awesome is that? Like, could we be a church that does that? That is marked by reconciliation with each other. Could we be a church that learns to confess? So the first practice in this season of preparation. Jesus calls us to confess, to come back to him, our first love. And the second is like it, consecration. If confession is acknowledging the stuff that we've got wrong, consecration is changing our actions in response. To consecrate something is to set something apart, to make it holy. When we make Jesus our first love, he calls us to consecrate ourselves, to dedicate ourselves, our whole selves to him. And there's this, um, there's this story in the, in the book of two kings where the, Israel has a string of bad kings and then Josiah comes along and they discover in the temple, tucked away, the book of the law, And Josiah brings it out, and someone reads it to him. And when he hears the book of Deuteronomy Deuteronomy today that we have in our Bibles being read, he tears his clothes and weeps for how far the people of Israel have have moved away from God. And there's this amazing moment. I encourage you to go and read it in your your own time. It's in 2 Kings, chapter 23. Josiah just goes, like, on a full rampage. So, in the temple, they had set up all these idols to foreign gods. They had, like, shrine prostitutes and everything, like, hanging around inside the temple. Like, so far from what God had called the people of Israel to. And Josiah makes a public display of this, like, consecration of turning away from the, the idolatry that Israel had gone after. He drags out all the idols from the temple and publicly burns them in front of all of Jerusalem this moment of saying, we are no longer going after this thing, we are going after this. We're repenting, we're turning direction. We can so easily put up idols in the temple of our hearts, can't we? With money or fame or sex or power or notoriety or success to live a life consecrated the Lord requires us to drag the idols out from inside our temple by the scruff of the neck and burn them. To say, I will have no other gods but the Lord. To consecrate our lives to him. To put Jesus back on the throne of our hearts. As we prepare for God to move throughout our churches, throughout our communities, I believe God is calling us to consecration. It says in Psalm 24, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. God comes where he's wanted. He comes to people who worship him and him alone. What would it be like to be a community of believers who consecrate ourselves to the Lord every day? As a student, as a stay-at-home mom, in the office, as someone who's unemployed, when we're at a party, when we're under stress, when we're feeling low, when life is going well, what would it look like to live lives consecrated to the Lord? I wonder if there are idols in your life that need to be torn down today. Jesus has been sifting his church over the past years. I mean, you just see story after story after story of pastors falling. Pastors choosing their own fame over the fame of Jesus. Jesus is calling his church back to wholehearted devotion, to be a church that doesn't compromise to societal norms, but rather is set apart, is consecrated. We see this in Gen Z. Gen Z was, the, it was that was the, the defining thing of Asbury. The generation, I don't know the exact ages, but it's like the sort of 25s and unders. It was predominantly, it was the Gen Z generation that were so impacted by what happened in Asbury. People just who had never heard the gospel before, running towards the foot of the cross, throwing their vapes and throwing these things that like bind them, things that they feel so bound by, just literally throwing it onto the stage right at the cross. And Gen Z aren't interested in cool church, in churches being relevant. They want to know, is this, does this, is this real? And does it work? Am I wasting my time here? We don't want to look to see, like, how, like, Christianity works by, like, looked at the world by the prevailing culture the world is filled with so much brokenness we don't need to be informed by what's going on out there we need Jesus we need a Savior could we be a church that is about one thing and one thing only Jesus the third thing I believe Jesus is calling us to is communion communion with him what does communion mean i google dictionary this morning to see what just fascinated to see what it says The google dictionary describes communion as the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts or feelings sharing intimate thoughts or feelings jesus is calling us to be his first love Love with Jesus isn't like a theoretical concept. It's a lived reality. It's a relationship. Jesus urges us in John's gospel to remain in his love. In uh, In our passage today, Jesus says to the church, repent and do the thing you did at first. He calls the church back to relationship with him. To intimacy with Him, to communion with Him. Communion with Jesus is the most important thing for us as Christians. Consider in a marriage, you meet someone, you date for a little while, then you maybe start thinking, "Oh, maybe we'll maybe get married." So then you start, you get engaged. You maybe do the marriage prep course. You then you know you're making plans for the wedding. You invite all your family. Then you've got the big day. And on the day, you exchange rings, you exchange vows. And then what happens? You just go off and never see them again. You book each other in for like a once a month, like catch up, like a lunch. Maybe like at the holidays. Let's just catch up at the holidays. Easter and Christmas, yeah? Should we catch up then? Sounds good. No! You take the first step every day, day in, day out, walking in relationship with one another. And relationship with God is, is the same. Jesus describes the church, capital C church, the, the global church as his bride. We're called to walk in relationship with him day in and day out. And this isn't like condemnation, like this is a gift to walk with isn't Jesus, is, like, he refers to himself as the Prince of Peace. How many of us like, need the Prince of Peace? In our lives, like, every day. Do you know what I mean? Like, Jesus, like, the the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. For those who put their trust in Jesus. The power that raised Christ from the dead. And we miss out on that. If we choose to be distracted by the worries of life. By what other people think of us. By the idols that we set up in our heart. Jesus doesn't want to meet with you for an hour on a Sunday morning. He wants to walk with you day in, day out, through the good times and the bad. What would it look like to pursue Jesus every day, to invite him to dwell in our hearts, to invite him to speak to us, to guide us, to give us boldness, to go into our week, and bring the light of Christ to our broken world. The church in Ephesus got so good at resisting the prevailing culture that they shut themselves off from it. They were so busy resisting all the the sin out there. Let's just hunker down and keep the doors closed. They missed the point. Jesus calls us, he fills us with the Spirit, with his love, he transforms our heart that we may go into all the world and bring the light of Christ. We're not called to just have like a feel-good hour on a Sunday morning, feel good, you know, get back to work. We are called to like be light bearers, bring the good news of Jesus, to bring hope to the darkness, amen. Jesus wants to fill us with his spirit so we, he can propel us into the world. So what does awakening look like I'm coming into land? It looks like churches up and down the country full of men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart, consecrated, their hearts on fire with love for him. fruit of awakening in the past has been the abolition of slavery prison reform the Sunday school movement millions of children lifted out of poverty educated across this nation it's said that Britain avoided revolution in the 17th or 18th century the 18th century that all of Europe was ravaged by because of awakening God's spirit moving across the land but here's the thing, awakening starts with you. It starts when men and women begin to have their hearts awakened to God. When the church comes back to its first love, when it turns away from all the other stuff, comes back to love for Jesus, Jesus. Would you like to stand? We're going to have a chance to respond. These seven letters that we're going through over the the next couple of weeks can feel heavy. can feel like, Nate, you're up there talking about sin and confession and consecration and, you know, oh, it's a bit much, you know. The thing is, Jesus is like just so in love with you. He wants your heart. He wants you to be free from the things that keep you bound up throughout the week. He loves you. He's desperate to be in relationship with you, to walk day in, day out. And I wonder where you're at today. Maybe there's some stuff you need to confess to God. Maybe it's how you've hurt him, how you've hurt others. Maybe there's some stuff we need to repent of. Things that have become our first love. If that's you, like, just let me encourage you. God is rich in mercy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He loves to forgive. Like the story of the prodigal son, the father runs towards us with arms open wide, scoops us up, saying, My son, my daughter. Maybe today we need to consecrate our lives to God. For some of you, maybe that just rings true. Maybe you have faith, but never quite hand over the keys of your heart to God. What are the idols you need to drag out of your temple? Drag out of your heart today. Burn them. Lord, I'm done with them. I just want you. We've heard so many amazing stories over the past year of people being set free from stuff, people healed from addictions. There's one guy, you know, healed from a Coke addiction. Another guy, you know, delivered from, from porn and pills, as he put it. Other stories of people's marriages being restored Jesus wants to bring you freedom today, if that's you. Maybe you're here and you're doing all the right stuff, but the flame of your heart has just gone cold. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart today. He's knocking. Would you let me in? finally, maybe you're here today and actually you're like, what have I walked into? (laughs) Maybe you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Or maybe you used to, you know, have a faith, but you sort of, for whatever reason, drifted away from God. Again, Jesus is calling you to himself. Today. We've seen so many people over the past weeks make decisions to to put their trust in Jesus. I want to do the same today, just make space. If you're here today and you know you're not walking with Jesus, but you know you'd like to be, you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, can I invite you to pray a really simple prayer? Thank you, sorry, please. I invite you to just echo this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you love me, that you died for me. Thank you that there's hope, that we don't have to walk through life alone. There's more to life than work and success and what we can achieve and what we can store up for ourselves. Lord, thank you that in you we find hope, we find eternal life, we find the God who created the universe giving us purpose and meaning sorry Lord we're sorry for where we've got it wrong sorry for where I've hurt people if that's you may just bring stuff to the mind that you know you just know that you've got wrong just bring it to God say I'm sorry Lord. I'm sorry for where I've hurt people please please Lord would you fill my heart with your spirit with your peace come into my life Lord Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, Saint.chet. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.